So, time for word domination. It's 20 to 9. You are with SAFM, and here we focus on words, fascinating words in this case. It reads like fiction in many ways, but this is absolutely not fiction. The book is called Nuclear, Inside South Africa's Secret Deal, and it's written by the journalist Karen Morn and uh, former National Treasury uh, worker Kirsten Pearson. If you read the dust cover, essentially what it talks to is the fact that shortly after Jacob Zuma received treatment in Moscow for alleged poisoning, he signed off on a massive, far-reaching and unlawful nuclear power deal with Russia. Had the deal gone through, it would have devastated the South African economy. And we'll talk about what that devastation could have been because it is quite clearly laid out in the book as well. On the line, we have one of the authors, Karen, uh, Karen Morn. Karen, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Michelle. So, Karen, the process of research in this must have been fascinating. I mean, as you read through, you managed to get some surprising interviews, notably Tina Jumat-Peterson, who was the Minister of Energy at part of the time, former uh, President Jacob Zuma's wife, Nompumalelo Ntuli Zuma. I mean, that takes you on a very strange journey indeed. And of course, there's a lot of information which I assume is contained in the transcripts of the Zondo Commission. That process of research, how long does it take? And, and what, how do you get an interview with uh, someone like the former Minister of Energy in a nar- narrative like this? You know, I think the thing was we took... We took about three years to write this book. Yeah. And a huge chunk of that, Michelle, was the research. Because, you know, the nuclear deal had been something that had loomed so large on South Africa's kind of um, news landscape. But it was always as this kind of threat, you know, that you were going to engage in the nuclear deal. It was sort of shrouded in secrecy. There would be very, you know, excellent journalism by particularly the Mail and Guardian um, that would simply be denied and then it would be buried for a few months and resurge. And then, of course, when Implant Nene was fired so unceremoniously and then replaced for four days with the weekend special, Des Van Royen, that was when, you know, there was a huge contention that potentially his removal was, was linked to the nuclear deal. And now, as you point out, thanks to the excellent work of the Zondel Commission, we have a real insight into how that happened and that the reasons given by the former president at the time for Nene's um, shock dismissal were, were entirely false. So, but it was very important for us to really get into what had happened, to read, um, to read the court papers, like over 2,000 pages, mm. to go into the procurement data, to go into the reports, and to really feel at the end of it that we had grasped on, in some sense, what had happened in the in the procurement process or the pre-procurement process, because obviously we never actually went into full-scale procurement of nuclear. And I think that, I mean, we'd spoken to, um, I'd spoken to Tina Jumat-Peterson right at the beginning, and she said to me, listen, just get the documentation, and then once you have it, um, you know, potentially I will, I will talk to you. But she said there's a paper trail, and you need to follow the paper trail. And once we did that, and we could have sort of see like her role in the whole thing, she she you know she willingly she willingly did the interview. And I think also the fact that we I was able to speak to former President Zuma right in the beginning. I think it was March in 2019. March 2019. That was also very helpful because it solidified the fact that in fact yes, he outspokenly said I was completely committed, remain committed to the idea that a nuclear deal with Russia would have saved. 
um, solved our energy crisis, and he believes that we wouldn't be in the situation that we are in now, power-wise, had we done that. Of course, a lot of experts and a lot of what we uncovered in the book would suggest wildly to the contrary. And we'll talk about that in a moment. You know, one of the things I thought, Karen, as I was reading the book, was there's this idea of how we join the dots. And Mm. I had not realized how many of the dots are joined. And I'm sure many South Africans who won't have gone through the transcripts of of the Zondo Commission or those reports, and understandably, given how many pages there are, there is an ecosystem that was one could maybe call it an ecosystem of corruption, but certainly it's an ecosystem where nuclear was one of the major dots that joined to so many other issues with regards to the whistleblowers that we have spoken to here on the show, et cetera. Mm. And I was really intrigued as maybe a nice word. I mean, horrified would be another one. But that ecosystem and that joining of the dots, you start to realize what a powerful weave of dis and misinformation was going on. That's such a perceptive comment, and I, I really love that you've put it in that way because I think that you've gotten to the heart of what we, we tried to do because the nuclear project was the ultimate act of attempted state capture mm. um, because in many respects, had it gone through um, in circumstances where there were real question marks over the funding, and it was very much suggested that Russia would be funding the bulb. You know, we would be dependent... You know, Russia would commit itself to building nuclear power that would provide us with 23% of our energy as a country in circumstances where Russia would have been funding that deal with all kinds of financial consequences for us as a country, had massive, massive geopolitical implications. And it feeds into our, our situation now, our kind of dynamic as a country, our relationship within the BRICS um, alliance. Exactly. Um, I think, you know, it's it's... It's so important. And then, of course, at the same time as we see Jacob Zuma sort of furthering his geopolitical vision of South Africa, essentially in, in a kind of um, almost like a sort of any mini energy colonization by Russia, we see simultaneously the, the more well-known state capture networks of, of the Guptas um, also getting involved there because, of course, they had bought, they had bought Shiva Uranium around 2010, 2011, at the same time when South Africa was joining BRICS, um, and, you know, that they were very intense. They would have been, you know, potentially at the forefront of uh, securing kind of profits linked to to the nuclear deal. And then, you know, 2015, we see all these Gupta-aligned individuals, um, Achela, Koko, Brian Molefe, Anaj Singh, being bought into ESCOM, mm as the energy department is, is failing to get this nuclear deal solidified, being bought in there and just going hell for leather, sort of 2016, 2017, while the court battle is playing out, to try and push this thing through um, at all costs, at any cost. You know, Karen, you mentioned this idea of um, geopolitical allegiances, and I did make a note of that because what I was thinking is I hadn't realized just how much the story of nuclear was um, part of a much larger geopolitical engagement with BRICS. I mean, it was about building mm-hmm. South Africa's stature with Russia. Absolutely, and you know, you know, the Russia has, um, you know, there's the nuclear Russian nuclear projects in India. Um, you know, there's this, there's this big, you know, the the energy landscape. Russia's power within the energy landscape 
is continuing to having massive power, you know, massive implications globally, as we see now with the mm. Russia-Ukraine war. Um, so, you know, they they have very much set themselves up as kind of an a sort of energy, um, oli, you know, oligarchy essentially. Globally. Yeah, you call it you and call they, it nuclear colonization, exactly. and I, I thought that was such a great term actually when I read it. So I and I mean, the, the fascinating thing, of course, is that, you know, China has made inroads very much in, in Africa in terms of trade. Like they mm. dominate, you know, they've, they've got massive power on the continent because of the various projects and investments and things that they've done. And Russia has been quite late to the party. But what, what the nuclear deal, and they said as much, they said explicitly when they signed the nuclear um, sort of deal with agreement with intergovernmental agreement with South Africa in 2014. They saw South Africa as kind of a um, starting point to, you know, potentially uh, building reactors in South Africa, taking them all over the continent. Mm. Um, they were they had signed a number of intergovernmental agreements with um, various countries in Africa, which one of the researchers pointed out, points out in the book would be the kind of markets that, you know, most investors would run screaming from because, you know, they weren't there weren't countries that were massively economically strong, but it was very much that you know we you know the 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 kind of implications of those countries signing those agreements with Russia um, would have been obviously you know kind of had implications geopolitically for those countries, and we can see you know there is I mean it's a fascinating dynamic, it's an important dynamic, and we have to we have to as South Africans really interrogate. Our, geopolit- our geopolitical position on a number of issues, where is it coming from, where is mm. it based, and is it ultimately in the best interest of the country? But what the, you know, the, the Carnegie research also says is that you know, Russia relied very much on that sort of Cold War nostalgia um, that the yeah. ANC has for the Soviet Union, which very demonstrably was, was one of the few nations in the world that was like supporting it, arming it, helping it, assisting it during apartheid militarily, which no other country in the world was doing. And that connection um, very much informed, when I spoke to Jacob Zuma, his faith, his, his support, and his absolute belief that Russia was the best partner for a nuclear deal. So it's about history, it's about geopolitics, and it's about ultimately what is South Africa's identity within the world? Who do we align ourselves with and who in many respects do we, in, in some respects, I would argue, belong to or want to belong to? You know, it, what's interesting about it is that you talk about what the impact of it could have had on, you know, what country would take up a deal like this. We forget that, um, and I hadn't been aware of this, that, that Russia is a tiny trade partner. I mean, you note in the book, mm. it's 0.4% of our GDP, which is pretty much nothing. Okay. Conversely, if South Africa had taken up the nuclear deal, what would it, what it would have meant for the country? And you describe in the book these different economic scenarios which were modeled by Treasury in order to understand the impact. I mean, best case, worst case scenario, worst case scenario is just horrific. And probably we would have fallen into worst case scenario given the, the low rand to dollar um, depreciation that we've seen over the last couple of years. Talk us through well, some of those scenarios. Well, I mean, so this is fascinating. I mean, one of the key issues that the book reveals or, or explores is the fact that National Treasury was kicked out of the loop on this thing, um, very much so. And I mean, G- Tina Jumat uh, Peterson's, um, you know, the, the kind of 
um, information that she gave her during her interview about high-ranking official, officials within the energy department, one of whom is still there, saying to Jacob Zuma that you could keep nuclear as a kind of island, that you could do the procurement outside of Treasury, that they resorted to things like vendor parades, completely non-procedural, to keep Treasury out of the loop. And it's very clear that that was part of a deliberate project, which was bolstered by this kind of counterintelligence campaign against the National Treasury, where they were falsely mm. accused of being, you know, agents of apartheid forces and foreign governments, which Michelle is a rhetoric which gets pursued every single day on Twitter against anyone yeah. who is perceived to be um, not aligned with the former president and his particular political vision and, and um, allies, right? So we see this kind of campaign um, going on. And National Treasury, it's, it's really only after Nene goes to Ufa and is, is put in a position where he believes he's being forced to sign a letter which would amount to a guarantee to the Russian government that Treasury would intervene if ESCOM, whoever procured the nuclear, was unable to pay for it. And he realizes, oh, you know, this is serious. And then they start modeling scenarios. And the best-case scenario would have been completely economically unsustainable for South Africa. But the worst-case scenario, ironically enough, is now very much where the country is um, outside of the nuclear deal. So, yeah. you know, what made the matter worse was that when these things, when in contrast to what Treasury was doing, which was just, you know, kind of looking at... Um, you know, very basic models and saying this is what, you know, potentially the repercussions were. And the, the, the subcommittee that Jacob Zuma was heading was, was putting out information that, you know, we could have a, you know, several trillion rand profit on, on the nuclear deal if we invested it over, in, in it over 60 years. But deliberately um, saying, you know, for example, that the, the rand dollar exchange was one one dollar to ten rand when in fact it was one to forty so like forty uh, percent like you know there, there was there was, there was radical, radical misrepresentation yeah. yes so you know if in our current situation where we are in a very very dire economic position um yeah. and you know we we are the the implications i think the worst case scenario which was so horrendous by treasury would have been a, a million times worse you know what 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 one ha what lifts one up in this book is this extraordinary fight back that you talk about i mean yeah. there's the fight back that you've noted by treasury whether it was uh, finance minister Nene, who sounds like he really uh, put himself on the line in so many ways uh, minister peterson argues that she actually slowed the process down and then of course there is an interesting person in the in the in the mix Vladimir Slivyak. Who yeah. is Vladimir Slivyak and how did he support South Africa in this fight back when the civil case uh, uh, went to government with Earthlife and uh, the other organization? He is this very, very interesting Russian environmental activist who had managed to get a copy of the agreement um, and had been engaging with, with environmental Africa, uh, activists in South Africa and was able to provide them with a copy of the agreement so that they, they could have it and then like um, you know bring about legal action. And he was one of the most amazing interviews. We spoke to him, I think, two, to two or three times, but massively insightful in terms of um, saying, you know, that you know, that this was this was not a deal that, that Russia should have you know, for Russian people they would have been very, very distressed by this because it would have been potentially funded by government 
you know, a sort of equivalent in some respects of the PIC, you know, like the, mm. there was like, and, and sort of government pensions. Um, and, you know, this was, you know, this, this was a completely, you know, distressing aspect of this. But I think the, 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 the people who, like, his work was so, the, the alignment between Russian activists and South African activists was profound and it had huge implications. But I, you know, whenever I say to people, it's like, oh, I feel so overwhelmed. What can, do? what can we do? You know, this is such a mess, blah, 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 blah. I always remind them that the nuclear deal was actually stopped while people put up the boundaries, they fought, they held the line, they held the line. It was stopped by two middle-aged women and very, very smart litigation in the Western Cape High Court that was argued by David Unterhalter. That was, and you know these desperately ordinary, you know, people who were just both of them with a background in the anti-apartheid struggle, um, women who just said no, we're not going to let what happened in the arms deal happen to South Africa now. We're going to stop this procurement before it even starts. And they bring this litigation that tackles the the intergovernmental agreement with Russia, proves that it's unlawful, shuts down all the other intergovernmental agreements signed over the years as as. Um, that we're trying, Jim Peterson was trying to table before Parliament, stops them from, like, declares unlawful the Section 34 determination that would have allowed ESCOM to procure energy, and as a result, um, shuts down the process that the, the Gupta-aligned individuals within ESCOM were pushing for at the time to get requests for information that would have, like, flowed forward into a potential nuclear procurement process. So... That for me, and against threats, robberies, this internet being hacked, all kinds of other things, these women just persisted and they essentially saved our country. You know what's uh, really crazy though, and we don't have much time left, but one of the things, I mean, when right in the beginning of the book, you talk about the um, issue of poisoning. So the, fam- the story yeah. of Nompumalelo Ntuli Zuma, uh, a former president, uh, Zuma's wife at the time, and how she was accused under terrible circumstances of um, poisoning the president. Then what starts to become clear is that actually, I mean, the, the way this was thought through, that actually this was done in order for him to get to, to Russia to talk about, you know, to go because he was purportedly poisoned. I mean, it's, in, it's actually, it's, it's a movie. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I, I'm so glad you raised this because for me, she, you know, there's this kind of almost unbelievable aspect to the poisoning, um, you know, the poisoning dimension of this whole nuclear deal because it, it sort of it foreshadowed, uh, you know, he got treatment in Russia and I think within 13 days, less than two weeks, the intergovernmental agreement with Russia was signed in circumstances where it becomes apparent through the research that we were able to do and interviews that we did with her that he believed that he was being poisoned by, you know, American intelligence agencies, the, the, the CIA. And, you know, there's this kind of unbelievable dynamic to it, but it had horrendous consequences. We heard in his Bondal Commission, someone being forced out of a home with her two young children for five years, for half a decade, on the run, fearing for her life, telling the then SSA minister, David McLaubel, I'm not going to kill myself, even though that's clearly what you want me to do. I'm not going to kill myself. Um, and, you know, the terrible human consequences that happened where it was only as a result of very good legal representation by Ulrich Ru um, and pushing the NPA to make a decision on that docket that she was finally cleared, I think, around um, 2019, 2020. And she said to me, you know, like, 
you know, she just, she, she, like the vindication was obviously very positive for her. But like the fact that anyone would have believed in their right mind that she would have been part of a poisoning plot for her for, and put her under this, this shroud of suspicion, I think is a massive indictment against the state security officials who actively perpetuated that belief with the former president and put this woman through unspeakable, unlawful um, persecution and victimization. Karen, I'm afraid we have to leave it there. We're already late for the news, but uh, I want to say thank you for an incredibly insightful read and, um, yeah, one that uh, just left me with my mouth on the floor. So thanks very much. Thank you for a brilliant interview, Michelle. (laughs) Karen Morn, together with Kirsten Pearson, writing a book called Nuclear, Inside South Africa's Secret Deal, angles to the conversation that I never, ever imagined until I started reading it.